0: 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Then Nahash, the Ammonite, came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. In the last chapter, we saw the new anointed one, a kind of Messiah figure. Because of that anointing that he receives, God's chosen, the Spirit of God comes upon him in chapter 10 and also in chapter 11 that we read. He appears as God's man, God's deliverer, accompanied with the signs and wonders. So Saul was revealed as all of this Up to the end of this chapter 10. And that's in our mind. As we come into chapter 11. And now comes the test. Of Saul. Will he rise up to the part? Will he face the challenge? Will he obtain the deliverance of God's people? Will it be seen. That indeed he is the Lord's anointed will he rise up to the challenge some people think he's able to as we saw at the end of chapter 10 there's a band of people go with him; they have their trust in him they support him but there are others who don't think so how can this man save us so they don't have confidence in him they don't have faith and trust upon him so there's a division about him as we go into chapter 11 and he 's spoken about with contempt as we go into chapter eleven you'll notice that that this man look how they say it in verse twenty seven How shall this man they don't say Saul, how shall Saul save us No, this man there's a word of contempt, when I mean, you can't say a man's name, there's almost a contempt that's here, and, and that was echoed as we know. Of the true and chosen one in Israel. The true Messiah Jesus Christ. The real anointed God's son. Didn't they use that language concerning him. This man. Remember the Pharisees. The scribes. They murmured and they said. This man receiveth sinners. We will not have this man. To reign over us. Away with this man. And release unto us Barabbas. How can this man save us. They called the man that was blind, you remember, and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He can't see it. Well, this man, Saul, is about to rise up to the occasion and prove himself. He does in this chapter 11. He shows that he is the Lord's anointed. He's going to shut the mouths of the despisers. Chapter 11 is a chapter that does that. Do you see the change by the end of chapter 11? Verse 12. The people said unto Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. There's a change in attitude, isn't there? The despisers are nearly about to be put to death only for the grace of Saul. And Saul said, there will not be a man put to death this day. For today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. All see him now by the end of chapter 11 to be God's chosen, God's deliverer, God's man. And that's the chapter that we are beginning to look at now. Now I do remind you, we have to look at Saul forgetting That we know how he turned out. We have read Samuel many times. And and we know the story. We know the end of the story. we, We know how it goes for Saul. But we have to read it as if we're reading it for the first time always. That's how you have to come to this book. We have to see him as he is in chapter 10 and 11. Years before we see him in chapter 15 and following, we have to see him how the people are seeing him in this chapter, not how we know he turns out. So the people are seeing him, and he is appearing as the anointed, the the Messiah. Is he the serpent slayer? Is he the true deliverer? We have to watch and see. Just as the people have to watch and see. Is this the serpent slayer that was promised? And this chapter 11, it's looking good. The chapter reminds us then that whenever God works, as he has been in chapter 10, Satan also works his wickedness and his maliciousness. Chapter 10 looks so good, the anointing, the new king, the Lord's chosen, the hearts of the people touched, then Nahash. Comes up. This is Satan. Chapter 10 commenced with God. With the anointing. With the Lord coming down. With the word of God being prominent. With the kissing of the anointed. It commenced with the Lord and his prophet and his holy oil and his anointed servant, his captain. It commenced with the Lord giving the word. And God's working is prominent throughout chapter 10. But here in chapter 11... Nahash, the devil's mom, he's coming now. Literally it is, there comes up Nahash, the Ammonite. Someone else is coming now into the story. There's a darkness coming. It's a coming up as if hell is coming up. Coming up. This is the devil's response to the Messiah. This is the devil's response to the anointing. The devil always responds. Comes up. Remember how we read in the Bible so often about this? The word sown. The word of God is prominent. The word of God is present. The word of God is going forth. Then cometh Satan immediately. That's what the Bible says. Satan cometh immediately. Here he's coming immediately again. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. While men slept, his enemy came. His enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. So the enemy always comes in like a flood whenever God has begun his work and is doing the work. Nahash is the king of the Ammonites. Now, they belong to the other side of Jordan, away beyond Jordan. They have been afflicting the people of God on the east of Jordan, and they now have surrounded Jabesh Gilead. And Jabesh Gilead is is a town on the east of Jordan, not far from the Jordan, below Galilee. So Satan is now encompassing Jabesh Gilead. He's going about to devour, to destroy. Because he's always on the move, you see, isn't he? He always wants to wreck God's work. There's been blessing in chapter 10. And when he blesses us, we can expect Satan to come up. Whenever we've been having good meetings, whenever we've been having tokens for good and encouragements, you can expect Nahash. Then cometh up Nahash. You can expect it. You can expect temptation and attack. It's not now just a few disgruntled sons of Belial. No, it's more than that now. It's the power of darkness. It's Nahash himself coming up. This is a very important satanic figure in the Bible. We can't miss the ominous note. There are many examples of the power of darkness coming up, especially when there's an anointed God's man, when there's a kind of an Adam character who can bring change to the nation and to the land. Whenever God seems to be working with a man, with his chosen, there's always Satan coming in. The serpent. I give you some examples of that. We don't have to go very far into the Bible to have the first example, Adam. God's special man. God had worked marvelously. He created the whole world. He created the paradise of Eden. He saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. And he made his man Adam. And God took the man, Adam, and he put him in the garden to dress it, to be the keeper of it, to be the custodian of it, to do great works, to be a great man in the earth. And he gave him dominion over all the animals and all the beasts. And God blessed Adam and Eve. But what happened? What happened? There came up a serpent, didn't there? A serpent came in. Satan Anehash. Anehash. Do you get the sound? Hush. A Anehash. came up. That word serpent is Nehash. This is a serpent. This is what the Holy Spirit is connecting us with with Genesis. This is Satan. So uh, I'm not making this up. It's the same word as is used for serpent and it means serpent. The word is onomatopoeia. What's that? <laughs> well, it's a word that sounds like the thing it's time to describe. And you get this quite often in the Bible. Especially for the name for birds and animals because birds make these strange sounds and, well, the Hebrew, they write down the sound and that becomes the name of the animal. And the serpent has, has a hiss, of course. Nash! Nash! Um, to give you an equivalent, it's like calling a bee, buzz! Or calling a dog, woof! <laughs> this is what this word is. So, nahash, the serpent's coming. And its first occurrence is in Genesis 3, verse, verse 1. And 1 Samuel commences with this as well. So the serpent came to wreak havoc in the Eden. The serpent came to challenge God's man. To tempt God's man. To make God's man fall. To lead God's man astray. And he seemed to do so. Because Adam failed. And he seemed to thwart God's work. And thwart God's plan. But we know he didn't. Because God had a greater plan. A plan of redemption. A plan of another Adam. A last Adam. Who will be the serpent slayer, and who will destroy the the wicked, and who will bring in the new heavens and the new earth, and that's, of course, Jesus Christ. Saul here, could he be a new Adam? Could he be this man? And then the other example, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever he did come into the world, and we know that Satan attacked him, We know that whenever he entered into his public ministry and had received his anointing, the real anointing, the Spirit of God coming down upon him at his baptism, and we know that he was full of the Holy Ghost, whenever he left Jordan, Satan came. He was driven into the wilderness of the Lord because Satan was coming up to meet him. The day ash, meeting Jesus. And so there was all the good things. The voice of God, the, the signs, the heavens open and all of that. And Samuel, he pictures the Baptist, perhaps. And Saul, he prefigures Christ, the anointed. And so the chapter 10 and chapter 11 kind of prefigure the baptism of Christ. And, and then the, the Nash coming up. And then you remember that vision in Revelation chapter 12. There Peter get wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, And she, being with child, revealed in birth, delivered a son. And that's the picture of Christ coming into the world. But the dragons are, you see, in that vision. He has seven heads and ten horns. We studied that passage. But he's standing over the woman and he's ready to devour her child. He's ready to pounce. He's just come. The Lord's man, the Lord's child, the Lord's Christ. And the dragon is ready to pounce. Nahash, coming up. Coming up. He gets at the anointed one by assaulting the people of God here. But we're seeing in Nahash a very cruel man. And he's out to utterly overcome the saints and to utterly humiliate them. To humiliate the new anointed so Nahash has led siege, we're told here. He encamped against Jabesh, Gilead. He's surrounded the camp. He's not for retreating. He's come with all his forces, with all the power of darkness. It's his hour. And he's come in like a flood. And he's surrounding the whole area. They're surrounding the camp. And it looks hopeless. But God has his man. His anointed. So what Nahash wants is clear. Satan knows his business. He knows what he's about. Give up. Give in. You have no hope. You won't be able to resist. He's already done a destructive work in the other parts of the east of Jordan. This isn't the first thing. And A lot of the retreating soldiers from the east are now in Injabesh Gilead. This is the last stand on the East. And it looks like it's all up for them. So Satan's proud. He's self confident. He believes he can win the day. He sees the weakness of the saints, and you know he despises it. He despises the weakness of the saints. And he assumes he can easily overcome them. That's how Satan thinks about us. We're easy prey. He knows we are no match to him. He knows we are despicable in his sight. We're just weak. Frail. Sheep for the slaughter. And that's his attitude. Don't think the devil thinks you're strong. And you'll be able to stand against him. He doesn't think like that. He knows we are all weaklings. And he despises us. And he not only wants to defeat us. He wants to humiliate us. Utterly humiliate us. And his malice. As he wants to do here to Jabesh Gilead. Here we see. As they are encamped by the darkness. Here we see what God's people are not to do. What God's people are not to do. What does it say here? Nahash came up and camped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash. They're communicating with him. With the serpent. With the devil's man. Make a covenant with us. And we will serve thee. Imagine that. Make a covenant with us. They're hoping to come out of it alive. But at the sacrifice of a union with Darkness. We want a league. We want an agreement. We want to live with you. We want to stay alive. And to stay alive we're prepared to covenant with you. A covenant with the servant. They're willing to give up. They're ready to pack it in. Now does that not remind you of what we've been preaching about lately? What did Paul say? You have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. Well, here is a group of God's people and they're not prepared to resist unto blood. No. They're not going to strive unto blood. They're not going to strive unto the end. They're willing to give up. Even at the price of a league with the serpent. And this is their, as far as they can see, their only hope of survival. Either be overrun, which they feel will happen, or agree terms. So they're not prepared to fight to the blood, to resist to the end. And how many give up the fight in the camp of God and in the church? How many are not prepared for the cost Always compromise. Usually the cost isn't even too blunt. People compromise at even less cost than that. Just for an easy life. Just for a job. Or for better income. Or just for not to have any abuse. And no name calling. And not be looked upon as bigots. So so there's a people that are even prepared to compromise and make a league with the devil at an even less cost. Agree terms. Accept Satan's servitude. And how many Christians are accepting the ways of the world? And don't hardly have a fight at all. The devil's besieging us to give up on abortion. And to give up the opposition to same-sex marriage and to allow our children to be corrupted, to just you know give up on all of this and throw in the towel and say there's nothing we can do, there's no solution. And that's what these people in Jabez Gilead are like. And I have to ask them where's their trust in God? I have to ask them where's their love for the Lord? Where's their confidence in their Redeemer? Imagine offering to become the devil's slaves. Why do they not try prayer? Why do they not fast and pray? Why do they not try humiliation before God? Before they would try humiliation before Satan. Better to be humiliated and humble before God. Better come contrite and broken, helpless and hopeless in the acknowledgement of our sinfulness, in repentance and faith to God. Better to do that and to die than to be humiliating ourselves before the devil. And that's very often the way of compromise in the church, isn't it? The easy path. Not this difficult journey. Brethren and sisters, we can't compromise with Satan. We can't compromise with the works of darkness. We can't make a league with the devil. Can we ever imagine God's people saying this, literally, to the devil? Not literally like that, but really by the actions and the attitudes and by the behavior and by the non-resistance really this is what is happening we could never imagine God's people saying this and yet here it is in black and white in the text they're saying it. make a league with us and it still goes on you Christians submit and they do you Christians accept things the way they are you must and they do And we have to guard against that. This this acceptance. This attitude of non-resistance. You see, this is what happens when the church loses out with God. Turns away from the Bible. Becomes casual in the things of God. A spirit of compromise comes. A spirit of defeatism And the attitude, well, that's the way things are going. We just have to accept it. We just have to go with the flow. You know. Well, the Bible's clear. And it ought to have been clear to the men of Jabesh. The Bible's clear. Thou shalt make no covenant with them. Nor with their gods. Take heed to thyself. You see, God knew them. God knew them. Take heed to thyself. God knows us. And he's saying to us tonight, take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Lest thou make a covenant, and it will be a snare in the very midst of you. And then eventually you'll go a-whoring after all their gods. You get on with them, you accept them, and you'll soon be going with them in their ways. It's not just the Old Testament, the New Testament says similar language. What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement? What league? What covenant? What agreement? hath the temple of God with idols. You see, the people in Corinth there are attempted to oh, well, it will go to the market, you know. We know that all this meat's been offered unto gods and idols, but what odds? We know gods are nothing. And i will just bad anyway, and don't care what they eat, what the people think, you know. Do you not know that gods are devils. The things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils. Do you know behind every god is a devil? It hasn't just popped out of the air, You know all these gods that have risen up. Behind everyone is a devil. A spirit of wickedness. Satan. And when they worship those gods and give to those gods, as the Hindus do, even today it's going on, they're doing it to devils. And the gods are coming back again. Because the devils haven't gone away. They're coming up. They're coming up. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You're going to go out there to Nahash and drink the cup with them? Fellowship with them? Compromise with them and say, okay, we'll change this. We'll we'll not be too different from you. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. So Corinth had to deal with the spirit of Jabesh Gilead. The men of Jabesh said. And there were people in Corinth saying something like that. There's always Satan's desire to intimidate the saints, to cause them to give up, to continue. He never gives up. You know, this is how he devours. You know, the devil's not allowed to literally come and devour us against our will. I dare say he could just appear and just consume us up in ashes if he wanted. But he's not allowed to do that. God doesn't allow him to do it. He's not allowed to rape us. God doesn't allow him to do that. He must overcome our will. He must get us to sin. He must turn the will and that's how he grapples with saints. To get them to give in. To put them under the pressure. To encamp against them. To lay a siege. And then the will of the man begins to go his way. The devil can't defeat us unless we let him. Unless our will gives way. He can't do anything against your will. He can't destroy us unless we let him. We are indeed taken captive by him at his will, but it still requires somewhat our will. In a sense, he needs our agreement. He needs us to say, make a league with us. So we're only in danger when we give in to the temptation, and that's our problem. We do very often. There's a sprout of compromise because there's a defeatist attitude and that take the easy path of getting out of this situation. And all these voices are being listened to. But people of God, we must never compromise with sin. And we must never do what the devil wants us to do. Must never do it. Now it's easy to recognize what the devil wants you to do. Because the word of God guides us and gives us light, as well as conscience. And so never give in. And I'm not just talking nationally with national sins but I'm especially talking personally with our personal sins. We give in in the flesh. We surrender to our passions to anger to a spirit of impatience and frustration to envy. Our passions we must never Never give in to that. We must always resist. That's the only option. You haven't resisted onto blood. The only option is to resist and if necessary, onto blood. If necessary, onto the loss of your employment. If necessary, onto the loss of your economic means. You have to Resist. Resist the devil. And he'll flee from you. Give in on that resistance. And you'll be devoured. He pouts. Resistance is the only path. Peter said. Whom resist. In the field. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren. That are in the world. You know, the devil will come and say, you know, you're going to get a hard time. Nobody else has got a hard time like that. You'll be the only one in the world who's getting a hard time because of this. No, you're not be the only one in the world. There are Christians all over the place. There are Christians in India, Christians in China, and Christians in North Korea, as well as Christians in the West. They're all getting a hard time. We're all in the same battle. So you're never alone, and don't think it's only you. Not only you, we are together. Whom resist steadfast in the faith? Paul puts it very clear. We could have sent this message to the men of Jabesh Gilead. It's very clear. Neither give place to the devil, don't give him a foot. Don't give him anything. If he overcomes you. By force. Don't give in to him. There's a deliverer. There's a messiah. There's the Lord's anointed. There's a serpent slayer. Who you can trust. Who you can look to. Who you can send the message to. There's a serpent slayer. There's our Lord and Redeemer Jesus Christ who keeps us by his grace. Who will give us deliverance. Who will give us victory. Who will preserve us unto the day. Let us trust in him. Believe in him. Always believe in him. All us humble ourselves before him. And not be afraid to tell him. Lord I am no match for Satan. And these temptations and trials are a great problem to me. And I can't overcome them in my own strength. But Lord Jesus. You are the deliverer. But you have to want to be delivered people of God. The problem is some people just want to toy with sinning, play with sinning. Oh, he delivers. He saves his people from their sins. But you have to want to be. Let's pray.